Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from John chapter 21 verses 9 through 19. This is one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his followers. If you remember from yesterday's podcast, in the first eight verses we have seven of his followers out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. They've been fishing all night. We know that we have Peter and Thomas, Nathaniel, we have James and John, and we have two other disciples that aren't named. They've been fishing. They've caught nothing. Jesus is standing on the shore. They don't realize it's Jesus. From about 100 yards away, he calls out. It says, cast your nets on the right side. They do so. They, they have a huge catch of fish. It's so large they can barely drag it into shore. John gives us this minute detail of it's 153 large fish. Peter can't wait to get to the Lord, so he jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. And so we pick up today at that point. They've come to the shore. Jesus is cooking breakfast for them uh, over a fire. He has some fish and he has some bread. We're going to pick up at verse 9 through 19 and see some more details as it relates to this story. Once again, this is the English Standard Version. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, interesting, we see that the focus is on Simon Peter. And there are certain details that we should pick up on. And we're going to talk about this some in my sermon Sunday, but you'll notice some details in the reading. First of all, it's a charcoal fire. And if you think back in John's gospel in John 18, it was over a charcoal fire where Peter denied Christ. So that's an interesting connection then Jesus pulls Peter aside. Maybe maybe it's in front of the other disciples. We're really not sure. But he has this discussion with Jesus or with Peter and asked him, do you love me? Now, a lot of people have noted that when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agapeo. Do you love me agapeo? And Peter replies, I love you filio. And many preachers over years have, have made a big point of that and said, well, Jesus is asking him if he loves him with everything. And then Peter's replying and saying, well, I love you with brotherly love. You think filio, think of the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Agape love or agapio would be to love with 
every fiber of your being to love someone um, self-sacrificially. I think too much has been made over that difference in words. And the reason I say that is in John's gospel, John exchanges words all the time. It may be a literary device that he's using. For example, when he's talking about feed my lambs and feed my sheep, he uses two different words here in this exchange for sheep. So some think that he just does this uh, as a type of literary device, a habit of his writing form. And I'm starting to believe that more and more because really the point of this is it's not the two different words he's using. It's the fact he asks them three times. If you notice the third time, Simon finally catches on to what's going on here. He denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus goes through this exchange three different times with Simon Peter. I find it really interesting that Jesus does this. Uh, it's kind of like this therapy session for, for Simon Peter in a way where Simon is being reinstated. Now, something to take note of is that Jesus is not overlooking the sin and the grievous nature of the betrayal of what Simon Peter's done to him. Uh, that's not it at all. Jesus takes it really serious. What Simon's done, it was awful what he did by denying Jesus. But in a sense, he's making Peter come to grips with who he is and what he's done. And at the same time, he's recommissioning Peter. Now, we know Peter's already repentant. We've seen his behavior, how he ran to the tomb. He ran into the tomb. Uh, he couldn't wait to get to Jesus. He had to swim to the shore. So there is this change in Simon Peter, this repentance. We know in Luke's gospel that Simon Peter weeps bitterly because of what he's done. So there is this change in him. And then Jesus points out the issue here that it's about love, that Simon Peter needs to love Jesus. And so many times I think we can all learn something from Peter that the root issue of, of our sin and all of our problems that vex us as followers of Jesus is a lack of love for Jesus. We have more of a love for ourselves, a love for what we want, and not so much a love for Jesus. And that really ends up being the root of all of our spiritual maladies is not putting Christ at the center of everything, but putting our own hearts at the center. So we have this reinstating, and I, and I love the fact that Jesus recommissions him. Simon will have a pastoral role in the church, even though his awful mistakes, even though his shortcomings, Jesus gives him uh, a commission that he will be, in some sense, a leader in the church. Now, a lot of times Protestants push back on that and go, no, that, that sounds a little too Catholic for me. But you can't deny the fact that in Scripture, Peter has a leadership role. He's always listed first. Uh, the word used for Peter when he's listed first is protos, and that's not like a numerical order. It's where we get the word prototype from. So he is protos. He is Peter. He gives the first gospel sermon. He has some sense of leadership in the early church. And to come from such a, a horrible mistake and failure to a place of leadership is an amazing comeback for Peter. But we see Jesus all the time using flawed people. God throughout Scripture uses flawed people. Uh, to, to lead his people. He uses flawed people to um, advance the kingdom of God. I think, think back to the Old Testament, to all the people with flaws that God used and God had a relationship with. So that gives us great hope because we are flawed people. Uh, one thing that sets Christianity apart from Islam, you know, in Islam, many times prophets are seen as impeccable. You know, Jesus is seen as a prophet in Islam. And one thing Muslims would say, the ones I've interacted with and, and what I've read from 
the Quran and, and other materials is, you know, prophets uh, do not make mistakes like what you see in our Bible. And so that would be signs of corruption of Christianity or Judaism that our Bible portrays these people with flaws and all. But I would say it makes it more believable that Christianity admits and Judaism admits that people are flawed and sinful. And if it's not for the grace of God, we would have no hope. So you see grace dripping all through this passage, the, the grace that Jesus extends to Peter, even though he really doesn't deserve it. And then at the end here, he gets to Peter's future martyrdom. He uses this word that your hands will be stretched out. Now, we know from reading Josephus, Josephus was a first century Jewish historian uh, that talked about crucifixion. And that was a phrase he would use for crucifixion, hands being stretched out. We know early Christian writers that wrote about crucifixion used that same phrase to refer to crucifixion, a person's hands being stretched out. So this is a euphemism, the crucifixion. And we know that Peter was more than likely crucified uh, when Rome burned to the ground. Nero blamed the Christians. And during the, the violent persecution of Nero, both Peter and Paul more than likely were um, killed during that uh, terrible persecution. More than likely, Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. And then Peter was crucified upside down. Now, here's an interesting uh, side note of history, if you like these kinds of things. Uh, there's a place called Escava, or called the Escava, and it's at the Vatican. It's a, a necropolis, an underground burial a place of, of a lot of Christians. And people are believing more and more that Peter's grave is actually there at the Vatican underneath the high altar. Uh, so I find that really fascinating historically that there's more than likely the, the grave of Peter. And it would make sense that other Christians would want to be buried close to that uh, leader of the church early on. So that's your interesting a little fact of the day or, or what may be a fact that Peter is very buried there. Um, and, and I find that fascinating, too. The very place where these Christians were killed and persecuted is now a shrine to Christianity. I find that that fascinating, too. So Peter is going to finish well. You know, it's up in there how Peter's going to finish when you read the Gospels. You kind of wonder, OK, how is he going to turn out? But Jesus tells us here that he will be glorified in his martyrdom. Now, we as modern Christians don't see it that way sometimes that. That in some sense would be a defeat, but for first century Christians and for Christians for the first two or three hundred years of church history, uh, to die a martyr was a, a glorious thing. Now, you didn't go about seeking death, but if you were allowed to die as a martyr, that that was in some way a glorious way to die, to serve Jesus ultimately in your death uh, as a testimony. Uh, Tertullian's the one that told us that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so Peter will die a martyr's death in Rome. Well, in our reading today, I hope this has edified you. We have run out of time, so we won't read it again. But the story of Peter just really inspires me. Here's a guy with all these flaws, all these mistakes, but Jesus gives him grace. Jesus gives him mercy and commissions him for mission and for task in the church. And that gives hope for flawed people like me. And I hope it does for you, too. Well, I hope you have a great day. Hope to see you back tomorrow as we close out our last podcast on the Gospel of John. God bless.